This morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Uh, we are, in, in the passage this morning, we are coming to the conclusion of the most famous sermon in the history of the world. We've been walking verse by verse through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Probably most of you are familiar with it, either because you grew up hearing it or because in college you maybe had to read a section of it or because if you know anything about Jesus, you probably know something about this sermon. It's famous, and rightly so. It's had a towering effect on people who have encountered its message. But it is far more than entertainment. It's far, far more than enlightenment. Far more than moral instruction for people who are wondering what way to be and what to do. Jesus' purpose in this sermon is not to entertain or to enlighten or to inspire but to save us from destruction. The whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is to save you from destruction. Our text this morning gives us the first of several images Jesus is going to unpack. We're going to be walking through them image by image in the next several weeks as we build to the end of this sermon. Several images for the choice that everybody's got to make once they've heard who Jesus is and what he's done. Several images that help us, and Jesus, Jesus was great at this, at giving tangible images from real life to help you understand his point. And in this case, they're all trying to help you understand the choice he's laying before you. It's a call for decision. The breakdown of this text in verse 13 and 14 is really simple. Jesus starts with a command, Enter by the narrow gate. And then everything else that comes after that is meant to help you obey his command. He gives two sets of images. One for a way that he calls broad, entered by a wide gate, a way that's easy, a way that's traveled by many, but ends in destruction. He contrasts that with a, a way that's narrow and hard, entered by few, but ends in life. So read through this text. Look for those contrasts. Look for the basic building blocks of this image. There's the gates. There's the way and how hard or easy the way is. And there's, there's the crowds that are on this way. And then there's where these ways both end. Look for those images. We're going to unpack them this morning. I want to do two really simple things. Make two simple statements. Every single one of us who has encountered Jesus in this sermon, every single one of us, without exception, we will have to make a choice. There is no hearing of Jesus without a choice that you're going to make about how to respond to him. Every one of us has to make a choice. That's the first point. We just want to make sure that's clear. And then secondly, we want to be very careful how we choose. The burden of this text is to help you make a choice using the right metrics, not the wrong ones, to help you be really clear about what's involved in this choice and to warn you against making the choice the way you would normally make a choice. So we're going we're gonna to see the centrality, the essential nature of this choice, and then we're going to see how to make it to make sure we're really careful with it. That we have a choice, how to make our choice. That's where we're headed this morning. I want to begin by reading the text. I'm going to invite you to stand with me now in honor of God's word while I read it. This is the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 7. Beginning in verse 13, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard 
that leads to life. And those who find it are few. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. I mentioned this a second ago. I'll say it again. The the first thing to notice here, before we get too far in the specific things Jesus says about each of these two ways, before we start breaking down the components, you know, the way and the, the, the relative ease of the way and who all is on this way and where the way ends, before we get into all of that, I'm going to make sure that one thing is really, really clear this morning. And that is that there are only two ways. There are only two ways to go. I don't know about you, but by nature, that is not the sort of thing I ever like to hear. I don't like people forcing me into categories, okay? I like nuance, subtlety. I assume most things are more complicated than they appear on the surface. And that the trick is really to get below the surface and see things as they are. And a lot of times, that's true, okay? I'm going to go ahead and stand by my way of looking at the world. I think a lot of times, it's pretty wise to be nuanced and look for subtlety and assume things are more complicated than they seem on the surface. But, now here's where I'm going to be honest and confess. Even though sometimes it's wise not to see everything clearly in black and white, in some cases, that's just an excuse to stay aloof, to stay analytical about everything, to stay noncommittal, to merely find things interesting. That's me. Isn't that interesting? But never give myself fully to them. I think a lot of us approach religion that way. Maybe a lot of you. It's more popular to approach religion that way now than it ever has been, by my read, in the history of the world. That we approach religion looking for things that we can appropriate. You know, for something we can pull out of what this guy has to say, or pull out some practice from what this way of life presents to me. Looking for something we can appropriate, pull out for ourselves, looking for inspiration or wisdom, but but always holding that religion at arm's length. Always observing it, taking what we want from it, but never really entering into it. This text, and all those that follow in this chapter, in chapter 7, It confronts people like me head on. Jesus is leaving us no room for waffling, okay? There's no room for a wait-and-see approach or for a take-it-or-leave-it assessment, selective appropriation of what he's offered in the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone who hears this sermon will either accept him as their king or reject him as a fraud. There is no middle ground. There are two ways And only two ways. The implication here, friends, is that we can't approach Jesus and his sermon as as a judge who makes decisions about what in it is worth keeping and what isn't. I mean, it makes sense, I think, to approach ethicists that way or philosophers. If you're in college and you're in this intro to philosophy class, philosophy is trying to teach you what's the best way to live. What's the good life? How do you understand it? And it makes sense not to just commit to one guy. You don't just read Aristotle and then do everything that he said. You listen to him having conversations with other people throughout history who are responding to him and pushing back and exposing weaknesses. The point of the class is to sort of pick and choose, to find inspiration and help where you can, to make judgments. That's the whole point. 
That's, the, that's a good way to come up with a philosophy of life. But really, the arbitrator in, those, in, in that approach is me. My sense of what's best. My desires for my life, for the way the world is. I'm the judge. And Jesus, right here, and in all the images that follow this one, he's slamming the door down there. Not here. Not with me. Not with my kingdom. There's no room for neutrality. No room for selectivity. He is not part of how you become a well-rounded person. Part of what Jesus means by the narrow gate is that he is the only way to life. Period. And I get that that's a difficult pill to swallow. I said this before, I'll say it again. I don't know that there's ever been another time and place in history where people have been more hardwired than we are in our culture to resist exclusivity in religion. Think about it. We have access to information to even, and even to travel to people and ways of life and ways of thinking and doing and believing all over the world. We understand and can see the complexity of the world in a way that most people in the history of the world haven't been able to. We know now that there are whole religions out there that the people who heard Jesus' words for the first time never even knew existed. How can we live in our globalized, pluralized culture? How can we live now knowing what we know and believe that any one religion gets it all right? Isn't it more humble to assume that we're all seeing part of the truth? That it makes more sense to pick and choose based on what works for you than to give yourself to an ancient way of thinking that doesn't take account of the bigness of the world and all its complexity? Doesn't it take a special kind of arrogance to claim that only one religion saves? I wonder if that's how you think about what Jesus has said this morning. Maybe you believe that no one sees all the truth, so no one should claim universally what's true for everyone. I wonder though, friends, have you considered, if that's what you're thinking, have you considered that that you're making a universal claim yourself? That you're claiming a perspective of universal knowledge by which you know no one else knows everything? How do you know that there's no universally true claim to be made? Do you see everything? Maybe you believe that every religion is born out of a specific culture. That that means it's limited by that time, by that place, that it comes with a set of blinders cut off a big part of human experience and existence. Have you considered, though, that, that your view is shaped by your culture? That pretty much no one living now in the Middle East thinks like you do about that? Pretty much no one in Europe 500 years ago thought that way? Don't let your hesitancy to believe And anything universal keep you from encountering Jesus' claim this morning that He is the only way to life and hearing Him out. First hear Him out. Then evaluate Him. Because ultimately, friends, what He's saying here is that you you are going to make a choice about Him. 
he is either your king or he is to you a fraud, one or the other. So be really careful how you choose. Everybody's got to have a choice. You will, like it or not, make one. Be careful how you choose. And this is where Jesus takes us. In verses 13 and 14, that necessity of a choice, that that there's only two ways, you're going to be on one or the other, there's no middle way, that's the backdrop, okay? The details, the foreground of what Jesus is trying to say in this text is all about how to make the choice. Which way do you want? And trying to make sure you have what you need to make a good choice, that you aren't, that there's truth in advertising, that you aren't expecting one thing and then going to end up getting another. Jesus is going to describe the choice through this image of the, the two ways. And what he proposes in setting up this choice is backwards from what we'd expect. How do, we, how do you make a choice? How, let's, just take, let's just take, for example, a new purchase, a purchase that you want to make. Okay? You want to purchase a product. You don't know much about it. Haven't used it before. Maybe you don't know anybody who has. How are you going to figure out what choice to make? Well, I, I came to a purchase like that this, this last week. So soccer is starting to become a part of our family's culture. I don't know anything about soccer or the products there, therein involved. I, I've had to do some research. So I got on Amazon and to make a decision about the best soccer goals for our backyard, what do you think I did? I scrolled down through all the list of options and I'm looking for user reviews. And what I'm looking for on those user reviews is the number of reviews and I'm looking for the star rating of reviews. I want to know how many people thought this was a good product, and I want to know what they thought about it, that it was easy to use, that it was durable, that it had good quality. So I found some goals that had 755 reviews. The next highest one was like 124, something like that. And it got a 4.6 out of 5 star rating. Lots of people were using these, and lots of people were having a really good experience with it. They were easy, they were durable, they were fun. So I got them. That's how we make choices, right? We want to know how many people are using it, and we want to know how easy is it to use. So Jesus comes to us with this choice that he's put in front of us, and he says, there is a way that's got a lot of users, and it's an easy way, but that's not the way you want. Jesus is going to reframe how we choose him because he knows we'll choose him based on criteria that are going to end in our destruction unless he gets in our face and shakes us up and helps us to see the way things really are. So be careful how you choose. I want to show you the three things that Jesus points us to. Why you should choose his way, not the other way. Three things to consider based on this text. First, don't choose Jesus because he's popular, because he isn't. Don't choose Jesus because he's popular, because he isn't. So much of what we desire or pursue, we desire or pursue because others do, don't we? That's just a given. What we desire a lot of times isn't the thing itself, but the sense of belonging we get from that thing, the sense that we are among those who get it, that we are part of the people who are into this. Uh, that goes from, from music to clothes to where we vacation, whatever. We look at who else is doing it, and that's how we make our choice. There's a kind of safety in numbers. And Jesus is saying that there is a gate that's wide. 
You can come in as part of a herd through this gate. You can look around and kind of fit yourself in the middle and come in together. You don't have to get singled out here. There's safety in numbers. There's plenty of clearance to this gate. And once you get through it, the way is broad. You can walk hand in hand, part of the herd. There's room to just drift along together. But not with Jesus. With Jesus, the crowd is small, and the only way to be with Him is to pass through a gate so narrow that it only admits one at a time. Reminded me, when I think about this narrow gate, this notion that you have to get funneled through one at a time. You don't go in as part of a herd. You don't go in as, as winners of a popularity contest. Reminded me of this uh, village we, we visited when we were in England earlier this spring. We were, we were driving through this area of England called the Cotswolds. Many of you have probably heard of it or been there. It's, uh, it's, it's some nice rolling hills, lots of big fields where for century after century after century people were raising sheep. And back in the medieval times, England was known for all of its wool exports. There was a big boom. It was how they were making a lot of money. It was very thriving, prosperous to, to, to export all of this wool. So a lot of these villages in this part of England, were set up for markets. One of the reasons there was a village at all was that this is where they would come to buy and sell sheep. So the the center of these villages would often be a square with big, wide roads. You could just imagine back in the day all the booths that would be set up and the herds of people that would be there mingling and engaging, swapping things, doing commerce, hanging out, having fun. Lots of big, wide, wide, wide avenues. But then... In this one particular village, then they also had alleys that were so narrow in between buildings that only one sheep could pass through at a time. Those were the alleys that you would use to make sure you knew how many sheep there were. You don't go in as a herd through these alleys. They're useful for counting. They're useful for for record keeping, for evaluation. Only one at a time can come through. Tiny little passageways. It strikes me that that's, what Jesus, that's the image that Jesus is setting up here with this narrow gate. With him, you can't come in as just one of many, as part of a set. Everybody comes in one at a time. And there's a couple reasons you need to know that on the front end if you want to come with Jesus on his way. You need to know that you're not going to win any popularity contests with Jesus. Already in this sermon, he's promised that those who are with him will be persecuted. That, that, that actually it's the persecuted who are blessed in his kingdom. That you should expect to be reviled, to have evil things said about you. You should expect to be insulted and to be put out of popular company. You should expect that. So you should know when you're, when you're signing up for Jesus that, that you won't be able to hide in the crowd. The crowd is going to turn against you. You should know that today too, friends. That this is one choice you can't make based on number of users. Because the crowd is few, relatively, compared to that on the, big, on the broad way. If public opinion matters to you, then Jesus isn't for you. That's one reason the gate is narrow, but I, I think it's also emphasizing for us that this has got to be a personal choice that you make. You can't just make this choice because it's popular, and what you're choosing is the popularity to be part of what others are doing rather than choosing Jesus, because you can't do without him. The choice to be with Jesus is always intensely personal. 
You can only come to him as an individual with personal faith. The, 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 the gate, that gate is so narrow that you only come through one at a time. I want to especially appeal to, to the kids in the room here this morning. I'm so glad you guys are in here. It makes us so happy to see you out there and to see you engaging and listening to the Bible. We pray for you. We pray a lot that God will, will help you to grow and to know him, to love him, to hear what he said about Jesus in the Bible and think that it's for you, see that it is. This morning, I think one of the things Jesus wants you to hear is that this way is a way you'll have to choose for yourself. Your parents can't do it for you. There's a lot of things about your life that your parents do choose for you, isn't there? You didn't get to pick out your car, did you? You didn't get to choose where you were going to live. Maybe you got to pick your room or the color if your parents were gracious to you, but you didn't get to pick the house. You don't often get to pick your, where you go to school. So much of your life comes to you through your parents, doesn't it? Even being here at this church this morning is probably something that you didn't get to choose. But you know what? Your parents can't choose to follow Jesus for you. Your parents can't make that choice for you. They can't trust Him for you to forgive you for your sin. They can't choose for you to obey Him in the way that you live. You only come through this gate one at a time. You'll have to walk through it. We're praying that you will. First thing you need to know, friends, about about this path, this choice that you're going to make, whether you realize it or not, is that you shouldn't make it based on it being popular. It's not. You can't go in with a crowd. You go in one at a time. He's got to be enough for you, even if no one else in the world were to believe in him before you really choose his way and pass through his gate. That's the first thing you need to know. Don't choose him because it's popular. It isn't. Here's the second one. Don't choose Jesus. Be careful how you choose. Don't choose Jesus because it's easy. It isn't easy. Don't choose Jesus because you think it's going to be easy. Jesus is telling you right here in this passage, it isn't easy. There's some more truth in advertising for you. If you want to walk with Jesus, it's a hard path to walk. There is a way of life that would seem much easier than this one. Look back at the images in verses 13 and 14. Here, start, starting out with the one that's wide, you know, that you can go down with the crowd. Those who enter by it are many. The way is easy on this road. He doesn't say why it's easy, but you can imagine. It's not hard to imagine what would make it easy. What's it, what, what, what do you think of us when we think of something that's easy? It's, it's something that doesn't really have to be learned. It just comes natural. It doesn't take any discipline. You don't have to necessarily think carefully about what you're doing and why. It's a way where you don't hear no, where no one's redirecting you, where you don't have to restrain yourself or, or, or step up for a challenge that's going to be uncomfortable. It's a way where you just go, drift. It's spacious with plenty of room to bring along all the baggage that you want. It's an easy way when it suits me, as I am when it conforms to what I want, when it doesn't take much effort, when it's natural. Friends, if, if, if easy is what you want, if what you want is a life where no one says no, where everything falls into place just as you'd like it to, 
where all your instincts are all you need, then Jesus is not for you. The narrow way, the one that's entered through the narrow gate, that's a hard way, Jesus says, verse 14. The way is hard that leads to life. And if you've been paying attention, if you've been with us for this sermon series and you've been paying attention to the kinds of things Jesus has said about his kingdom, you can see why it's a hard way. It's a way that's fundamentally unnatural. It's opposed to what comes natural to us. So, for example, just to take some examples from chapter 5 and 6, it's, not, it, it, it's, it's a lot easier to lash out in anger than it is to hold yourself back and to seek peace quickly, like Jesus said to do in Matthew chapter 5. It's a lot easier to lust after someone with your eyes or in your heart than it is to take the radical measures necessary to prevent that. Back to chapter 5. It would be easier to end a hard relationship, maybe especially a hard marriage, than to stay committed to it under God. Think back to chapter 5, and the passage on adultery and divorce. It's easier to retaliate against those who mistreat you than to give them even more than what they've taken from you. Chapter 5. It's easier to judge others than to see where they're coming from and to be for them. It's chapter 7. At every turn in this road, in this kingdom, with Jesus, at every turn, you've got to be willing to see yourself redirected, to, to be called down, to be held back. You've got to be willing to be transformed. You've got to know that you are not yet what you need to be and that in his kingdom you will be changed. And that is not easy. Partly I think what makes this way hard is that there is a way of life that you will be subjected to that is not a natural one. I think there's another layer too, though. Another thing that makes this life hard, think back to the beginning of chapter 5, the first of what we call the Beatitudes, the first in this, in this list of character traits that you need to know about because these are going to be true of people who are in God's kingdom. The very first one of all is poor in spirit. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what we, what we talked about that week when we were unpacking what it is to be poor in spirit is that this is a person who is broken down by life so that they are desperate enough to recognize they have nothing that they can bring to the table that's any good for them or anyone else apart from Jesus. You have nothing to offer except what Jesus gives you. Otherwise, you're not in the kingdom. The poor in spirit are those who have been made desperate and helpless by life. Who see themselves as empty handed and naked and totally dependent on the grace of their king. Now, I ask you friends, how does a person become poor in spirit? What does it take in your life before you see yourself naked Stripped down, empty-handed, and helpless. What kind of despair do you need to experience before you're there? What does it take? Not the easy road, that's for sure. You don't get there without the loving discipline of a father whose ways are mysterious and often painful. 
who aims at the good of, their child, of his children by stripping away the things his children love more than him. Who builds his children up by first breaking them of what they need to leave behind. So what that means is if you're considering Jesus this morning, you can't evaluate Jesus and whether to commit to him based on the quality of life that you see in his followers. There's a lie out there. It's really popular right now that if you come to Jesus, then all your wildest dreams will come true. That being with Jesus is the path to blessing in this life, to a life that falls in line with what you want. Jesus is saying here as clear as he could possibly say it, that that is not what he came to give you. If you want to be with him, you've got to sign up to be so stripped down that you can finally pass through the narrow gate. You only come through this gate when you let go of your luggage, when you come empty-handed, when you slide through barely without even the shirt on your back. That's how you get through this narrow gate. Jesus is not offering you more of the stuff you already want from life. That isn't what he came for. He doesn't promise to bless you on your terms or to give you more security, more fun, more stuff, more of what you already want. Just the opposite. He promises his path is hard. And that's one reason so few are on it. That's the warning to you if you're considering Jesus this morning. Make sure you're not considering him based on what you expect to be an easy life once you're with him because it isn't easy. It involves a complete reorientation of how you approach life and it involves being broken down so that you truly depend on him. That's the warning if you're considering him but there's also comfort here for those of you who are with him. If your life conforms to your desires, if it never means you have to persevere through something hard or die to your dreams or your hopes or your expectations for yourself or for your future, if if it never requires that sort of purging, that's not a good sign. If your life is full of struggle, on the other hand, full of self-denial, of repentance and a desperate need for help, if you find yourself having to push through disappointment, if you're holding on to faith despite circumstances you'd never choose for yourself, on a path that you'd never choose for yourself, well, that is not the good life slipping away from you. That is God giving you the kingdom. Because only those who pass through the narrow gate with nothing but the promise that Jesus is for them. Only those who walk the hard way, only those enjoy the life of the kingdom. That brings us to the last thing to mention about this choice. I said you don't choose Jesus because he's popular. He's not popular. You don't choose Jesus because the way with Jesus is easy. It isn't easy. So why would you choose him? It makes sense to wonder, right? Based on what we've said so far this morning. Why would anyone choose Jesus? I mean, he, he's not 
selling a vision of the good life that many people are looking to buy. He's not pointing to number of users and to the quality of their experience. He's promising just the opposite of what we normally seek, so why would we commit to him? There is only one reason, only one reason that any Christian ever commits to Jesus. Only one thing you need to think about this morning if you're considering whether to be with him or not. The only reason to come to Jesus is that Jesus is the only way to life. The only reason to go through the narrow gate and walk often a lonely walk on a hard way with Jesus is that his way is the only way to life. I think this passage is meant to point us there. To the difference between a way that leads in destruction and a way that leads to life. The life part is the only thing good about Jesus' way. Did you notice that? When he says to enter through the narrow gate and he sets up what the two ways are like, the only quality, the only good quality of the way that he wants you to choose is that it ends in life. He's given you a command, enter the narrow gate. Then everything else is supporting his command and it's all reasons not to enter the narrow gate until you get to the end of it. That this gate, this way, it leads to life. There's no middle ground here. There's destruction or there's life and Jesus is the way to life. That's what he's saying. Let me switch from Jesus' life and death metaphor for a minute before coming back to it and give you another one. What baby? This is going to stretch your imagination a little bit, okay? I want you to imagine babies having self-consciousness in the womb, okay? What baby that had self-consciousness in utero would ever choose the birth canal over the womb? No baby in their right in utero self-consciousness would ever make such a choice. It's uncomfortable in there. It's confining and constraining. In a sense, it could be deadly. As opposed to the warmth and the nourishment and the moving room in the womb. No baby would ever choose the birth canal over the womb. What makes the birth canal a good thing, ultimately, is that it's a path to a wider and a fuller and a more expansive and beautiful life. That constraint... That stripping away of the former life and all of its comforts is the path and the only path to a world full of radiant and vibrant color, of beautiful sounds, of people who will love you and whom you will love. It's the only way to a life that is fuller and more expansive and more beautiful than anything that the womb could offer. So if you define the narrow gate and the kind of purging process it involves by the gate and the purging process alone, and if you compare it to the way that wouldn't require that of you, that would never require you to to say no, that would never require you to give up something that you really love or hope for, then that narrow way is never going to, to win in any contest. 
The only reason to walk through it is that it is a path to a life that is fuller and more expansive and more beautiful. A life that even those of us on the hard way right now can barely even taste and touch. A life that Jesus has promised to deliver in the end. The only reason to walk this way is that it's the only way to that life. Let me switch from this birth metaphor back to the life and death metaphor. That's one Jesus has been using. He's going to build on it later. In Matthew 16, verses 24 to 26, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And forfeits his life. What Jesus wants for you is life. Jesus is willing to do what it's necessary to give you life. Jesus is even willing to wound those that he loves. So that they can live. And if you want to come after him. That's what you're signing up for. For denial. For a cross. For a death. Because only what has died can be resurrected. C.S. Lewis sort of commenting on this passage. Near the end of mere Christianity, he's building this classic book on why to be a Christian towards a choice moment like the one Jesus has presented us with. And he's making this point similar to what Jesus has said. Lose your life and you will save it, Lewis writes. Submit to death the death of your ambitions and your favorite wishes every day, the death of your whole body in the end, submit with every fiber of your being and you'll find eternal life. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. The only reason to choose Jesus this morning knowing that the path is hard and that the gate is narrow and that it will mean death for you, is that this is the only way to life. So make sure that's why you're choosing him, if you're considering him this morning. He must be to you far more than a guru who helps you figure things out. He's got to be more than a moral teacher who helps you be a better person. He must be for you a sacrifice that makes guilty sinners clean. He must be for you a resurrected Savior who offers life to the dead. He must be to you the source of power that makes walking this narrow and hard road possible or He will not be for you who He came to be. But choose Him this morning and He's there for you. And to those of you who believe... Maybe your life is full of things right now, right this minute. Your life is full of things you would never choose for yourself in a million years. And you're going to be tempted to wonder why that's happening. All of us do. Especially why it's happening if God loves you. What's the point of being with God if this is how he treats his friends? To you, Jesus, in this text this morning, would have you remember that freedom from pain was not why you came to him in the first place. You didn't come to him to avoid hard things in life. 
you came to Him for life. And even now, even with all the things in your life you would trade if you could, where else will you go to live? Is there anything about what you're experiencing now that means He can't give you life in the end? No, there's not. There is nothing in your life right now that means Jesus can't ultimately give you life in the end. And you have the promise that everything you experience on this hard and narrow way is part of how God is giving you life, even now. Father, we cannot even believe this, much less have joy in it, unless your Spirit helps us to believe things that we have a lot of reasons not to. There's discomfort in believing it. There's even a kind of hopelessness sometimes that comes from believing it. What we need is for you to penetrate what our, mind, our hearts by what our minds have heard so that we believe it on a level that, that changes how we interact with the things we're dealing with, with the people in our lives, with our hopes and expectations of our future. We want a heart that believes that life is coming for those who walk this path with you. Would you please give us that kind of insight? By your Spirit, through your Word, would you break us so that you can make us whole? Wound us so that you can heal us? Make us to die so that we can live I pray that this morning those who are here apart from Christ would see this choice in front of them and choose life. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.